from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast What is your typical steam thing like what do you do uh playing with nails nail and uh, playing with my eyebrows I do this I clench my palms ंगलोडाइवर्जेंट and how they deal with the world and unlike popular culture which often only highlights how a neurodivergent person's behavior is different these videos take a more empathetic look and give neurotypical people some much needed insight into the lives of neurodivergent individuals and their passions neurodivergence at its heart is a term used for people who interact and experience the world differently than others The term is used in the context of the autism spectrum and other neurological conditions like ADHD and some learning disabilities. And as Alap also explains in today's episode, because it's a spectrum, no two neurodivergent people present the same way. While the depiction of autism in popular culture often focuses on their inability to deal with the world, there's now a concerted push to show what people on the spectrum can do as well. Well-known public figures like actor Anthony Hopkins, billionaire Elon Musk, and singer Sia are among those who've said that they are on the spectrum and have spoken about how it has influenced their lives and work. Alap Debur worked in multiple media houses before co-founding Much Much Media. His starting the channel was also fueled by the fact that he was around 30 when he found out that he was autistic. In today's episode, he talks with me about how the realization changed his life and what are the biggest learnings from chronicling the lives of neurodivergent people across the country. To start with, Alap says that he grew up being called an introvert given his behavior around people. So I've been a media professional uh, all my life and what that entails is uh, a lot of socializing, you know, meeting people, especially in the jobs that I have done which is in the music industry, uh, in production, Uh, it entails a lot of meeting people it entails um you know going out and uh, hanging out with them going to parties uh, sometimes it also entailed public speaking uh, and meeting new people lots of strangers uh, and these things i have always uh, been a little uncomfortable with and i al- i've always ascribed my uh, discomfort with these things to being socially awkward uh, and it- it's it's always been something that i just just um you know put away and said ki chalo i'm an introvert and therefore i'm i'm asocial and therefore you know these things come to me with great difficulty growing up in india there is also uh, so little vocabulary around any of these things there's literally nothing you're not taught any of these things in school of course uh, you you don't have conversations around any of these subjects with your parents with your peers so everything is just either are ye introvert hai ya to ye uh, extra social hai Uh, or else he's just uh, you know likes to be aloof and by himself in 2019 i chose to go in for therapy after some years of anxiety chronic anxiety rising from jobs rising from things happening in my personal life etc during therapy alap says there was no mention of neurodivergence 
It was during the lockdown of 2020, which was imposed to stop the spread of COVID-19, that he began to explore the topic of neurodivergence through various books and videos. These, he says, opened his eyes to lived experiences of others, which in turn resulted in him looking at his own experiences more closely. I think as men, we don't really introspect much and, and try to really figure out what it is that we are feeling a lot of times. We just tend to put it away thinking, you know, that's that's not where your mind is supposed to go. Those topics are not worth thinking about. Or that if you are thinking about those things, then, you know, your mind is going into places that it shouldn't be going into. You're not focusing on work, etc., etc. But it was conversations that I had with these people and uh, books that I read and documentaries that I saw that actually gave me the vocabulary to talk about things that, that were always missing from my uh, dictionary. Things like sensory sensitivities, meltdowns and shutdowns, masking, sensory overload, executive dysfunction. These were uh, these were words, phrases that I had never known about, but words and phrases that I instantly related to on a very personal level. Whenever I came back from parties, whenever I did a lot of socializing, invariably there would be either a shutdown or a meltdown the next day which would pretty much mean I couldn't do anything essentially for the entire day. And I had to pretty much take the entire day off and just focus on myself, focus on pulling myself back together. And it still happens. It still happens to date. So I found out that, yes, it was introversion in a lot of cases, but also so much deeper than that, so much more than that, with so many more associated angles that had never opened up to me before then. Anup says it was around 2022 that a lot more conversations started happening online about being assessed as autistic as an adult. People diagnosed as neurodivergent later in life were speaking about their own experiences and Anup says one of the persons he was in touch with suggested getting assessed to check if he was autistic. I went in with a completely blank mind. Uh, I went in hope, like expecting to have any, any outcome, either, either a positive outcome or a negative outcome. And I just kept telling myself that I needed to be as, as honest as possible about all my lived experiences, about everything that I had been through, which would kind of be like therapy. And it was, the assessment was exactly like therapy, where over a period of about uh, four months, uh, somewhere about seven to eight sessions, I had to speak about everything that I had uh, been through, you know, right from childhood up until present day, including my college life, my school life, my office life, my work life, etc., and uh, sure enough, four months later, I came out with a diagnosis of autism at 33. Uh, it was shocking to say the least, but it also explained just so much uh, about my past experiences, about everything that I had been through, that it kind of also came as a relief. There is a lot of stigma still associated with it, right? How did that but change the way you lived? As in, was it something that caused you to change what you were doing in any way? You know, there is stigma. There has always been a lot of stigma around uh, neurodivergence. Um, but as soon as I got my diagnosis, one of the first things that my wife and I, we both did was to meet more people who shared the same lived experiences as us. Uh, because the first thing that happens when you start identifying and you start becoming part of a community is that you feel less alone. And when you feel less alone, whatever stigma there is, at least the effects of that stigma don't affect you as much as they would uh, without any kind of support network. We were actually quite uh, fortunate to find a, a growing community of neurodivergence from India, young people um, as us, 
who had been diagnosed only in the past two or three years and who were starting to now band up together through communities on LinkedIn, on Instagram, WhatsApp, etc. So we started a page called Much Much Spectrum a couple of months after my diagnosis. And uh, that's how a lot of people met us. That's how a lot of people connected to us. Uh, and we started having open conversations about the stigma that existed. Uh, also, what happens when you start having open conversations about stigma is that people start realizing that what they felt all along, how they have considered neurodivergence all along doesn't compute somehow because they see the kind of diversity that exists on the spectrum. They see the different lived experiences of people and they start to have less of a monolithic kind of a view of neurodivergence and a more nuanced outlook of neurodivergence. And so they start to see that autism is not typically what they had thought it was. ADHD is not typically what they had thought it was. And a lot more people have these conditions um, than you see. When you hear someone talk about their life experience, you sort of relate to that and then you have more empathy, essentially. Alap says there's a vocabulary of neurodivergence that doesn't feature enough in everyday usage. He says this is despite the fact that neurotypical people may have similar experiences. He explains why it helps to make terms associated with neurodivergence more widely used. The vocabulary is there, but I would say that it's not part of everyday parlance. Sensory sensitivities, for example, how often do you uh, really get to hear about those things? There are lots of people who can't stand the uh, can't stand loud sounds. There are lots of people who cannot see very bright, flashy lights. Uh, but those things are never typically ascribed to being sensorily sensitive. Words like meltdown, there's words like shutdowns. Uh, burnouts are thankfully things that have recently come into everyday parlance because of the whole mental health conversation. But before that, you didn't know what burnouts were either. You know, on days that you just couldn't function, you were just said to be having bad days or, or a day where you weren't feeling yourself. And the vocabulary really, really helps because you know exactly what it is that you're going through. There is such a stark difference between having a shutdown and a meltdown that now when I tell my wife, okay, I'm in shutdown, she knows how to accommodate me versus when I'm in meltdown where she knows exactly what to do. And these things really help because they help me come out of these situations faster and better and feeling more cared for. So having vocabularies is important and it has always been there. It's just that it's never been part of everyday parlance, which now with this conversation is coming more and more to the fore. I was going through some of the videos you have done and... Uh, that for me was also a striking thing because like you said that you were an introvert and that's believed to be the sort of typical neurodivergent person, somebody who cannot deal with a lot of people. And yet you'll have documented people who actually love being with other people and yet are neurodivergent. Like you said, it's not monolithic. Could you just talk about that? What is the common perception of being neurodivergent? And what you've seen in all this time? I would say that people don't really understand what autism or, or neurodivergences overall really are. Honestly, each, each type of neurodivergence uh, exists on a separate spectrum of its own. And uh, it's, it's, these conditions are very, very dynamic. Uh, you would be surprised that even a lot of autistics don't relate to each other with a lot of our challenges, strengths and presentations. We have groups on which we have conversations all day about the things that happen to us and the things that we go through. In a lot of cases, people, you know, reply to messages saying, oh my God, the same thing happens to me. But uh, 
strangely enough a lot of people also reply to those things and they'll say ki yeah but i don't relate to that at all this doesn't happen to me i'm the exact opposite and they are still as autistic you know as as the other person so some of us are very social some of us aren't some of us are sensory seekers some avoided there are autistics who are hyper social also i've met uh, a lot of them and their their presentations are very different from some of us who are not as social uh, so some avoid sensory seeking also some need way more frequent regulation breaks some don't i would say what it essentially is 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 a processing difference and a difference of expression so these two things are pretty much uh, i would say standard maybe uh, i might be wrong but this is what i have noticed in the time that i have met people from within our community a lot of people also tend to think that it's a flat spectrum from severe to mild like it's just one bar ek uh, side pe severe likha hai ek side pe mild likha hai but it's actually more of a flywheel you know with with various strengths plotted on that ranging all the way from less intense to way more intense and the intensity of these uh, presentations the intensity of these conditions is also very dynamic uh, and might differ from place to place situation to situation in a lot of cases um, an autistic themselves might not be able to tell you why they are not able to do something that they otherwise do so well in a certain situation or why they could do something so well today that they otherwise never really could so it's it sometimes really surprises you also why on some days you are able to speak so well on some days you aren't some days you do something really badly that otherwise you know you're very good at so you really can't tell alaps is the biggest lesson for them since starting much much media is that no two neurodivergent people present the same way and differ based on various factors our biggest learning as much much media has pretty much been that the most effective kind of knowledge comes from listening to the person who's lived with something that you possibly might have no idea about and that is how we know that autism presents differently among men and among women and non-binary folks that there is a class angle that there's a caste angle to it that there's a religion angle to it that people across different intersections uh have a very very different experience of their neurodivergence they present differently and their challenges and strengths exist across the spectrum that that you literally cannot know about until you talk to them and no two people are the same essentially that is the biggest learning that we've had alap says that discovering that you're autistic in your 30s also means that you have to deal with the claim that you're not as autistic as someone who was diagnosed much earlier in life he explains why not fitting in the conventional perception of autism or other forms of neurodivergence doesn't mean that people's challenges are any less and that's something he's hoping to address with the videos they make at much much media a lot of people also say that your challenges are not as severe or you know that you're not as autistic as someone who might be diagnosed way earlier in their life so this is something that uh, that my wife and i and a lot of people from within the late diagnosed community have had to face which is people coming up to us and saying yeah but you're not as autistic as you know like a person who was diagnosed when they were 3 years old i would say but that's one of the biggest misconceptions that's out there because uh what that directly relates to is the kind of masking that we do so masking is another big thing among uh, autistic individuals i wouldn't say it's just the neurodivergent thing neurotypical people also mask but with neurodivergent people their masking is uh is so protracted and it's so so much more intense uh that it actually has bad mental health outcomes the masking sort of has us you know go under the radar or slip through the cracks you know when it comes to getting a diagnosis earlier on in our lives 
um and that unfortunately also makes it seem like our challenges are not as severe as some other people might be um which is something that we are also trying to very actively talk about and trying to actively spread information about that just because we don't match the classic uh, image of autism doesn't mean that our challenges are not as valid or as uh, intense it's just that ours are different and what we're trying to really educate the world about is everyone has challenges some challenges are visible some aren't but you know you need to come from a place of empathy when speaking to someone and realizing that their challenges might not be visible but they might be just as valid and just as intense as someone else's uh what people i believe overall aren't very used to is the concept of invisible disabilities that people exist whose disabilities are not visible whose challenges you cannot really see um and to address this i i really feel we need more disability education built into our curriculum from a young age i think that is the that is the way that this will uh change We're back in conversation with Alab Debur of Much Much Media. Like he said earlier, Alab discovered he was autistic in his 30s and that in turn opened his eyes as to why he reacted in certain ways to certain events. However, like he pointed out, the stigma is very much there and not surprisingly, a lot of it has to do with popular culture. Lar not only infantilizes but also dehumanizes its autistic protagonist. That's one of the videos hosted by Aditi Gangradi on the Much Much Media channel about a recently released film Alap says that neurodivergence like other disabilities is often played for laughs in popular cinema which in turn affects how people deal with neurodivergent people when they actually meet them Bollywood is uh, just part over a slightly over 100 years maybe 100 years old uh, around around that mark uh, and and what films come to mind when you mention disability or neurodivergence maybe three or four films right tarizameen par comes to everyone's mind uh, margarita with a straw will probably come to everyone's mind um and maybe then there's burfi and a couple of others right you can count them on your fingers but 10 maybe 20 films right in all of history uh so the number there itself tells you just how little this entire conversation has been explored in a lot of cases there will be disabled characters there will be clearly neurodivergent characters but they are the lowest hanging fruit for any kind of comedy one of the fallback things for screenwriters at least in the past used to be ki chalo koi neurodivergent ya disabled character ko dalo aur uska mazak udao and everyone is going to laugh this has happened with uh, you know tushar kapoor who had a speech disfluency in golmal and everyone laughs at him so this is typically how neurodivergence and disability have been represented in bollywood for a very very long time and uh, that has caused uh, a lot of damage to uh, the perception of neurodivergent and disabled people overall alap says another major problem is that there's another form of representation of neurodivergence and disability which is portraying individuals as characters to elicit sympathy or to make them inspirational the strange part is even if there is neurodivergent or disabled representation if it's not from the make fun of them angle it's from the pity or the sympathy uh, angle so we le- need a, a lot less of what is is called uh, abroad the inspiration porn narrative you know which is disabled and neurodivergent people exist uh, to sort of inspire other people that is not actually the purpose at all because that redu- that is quite reductive that kind of a portrayal so we need way more nuanced portrayals of uh, neurodivergent and disabled lives and just in general more stories featuring uh, us so there's two types of inclusion one is casual where the focus is not 
really on the disability, but the disabled person just happens to be part of the narrative. So we need a lot more of that as well, where if you have, say, four friends as part of a story, one of those friends just happens to be disabled and the focus is not on the disability or not constantly on the fact that, you know, oh, I have a friend with a disability uh, or anything of that sort. It just so happens that the person is disabled. You know, community, I think, is a good example of this where there's a wheelchair user and the focus is never on the fact that they are a wheelchair user or, or that they're different from the rest of the college. In fact, Alap says, there may be characters that we're already seeing in popular culture who may be neurodivergent, but it's never acknowledged. Pretty much every Bollywood film where the hero cannot do well in school, but does well in pretty much every other aspect of his life could be ADHD, very honestly, because that is one of the most classic presentations of ADHD is where you sit in a classroom where you're very understimulated. You can barely even uh, pay attention to what the teacher is saying and your mind is always rushing to the first thing that stimulates your uh, mind more. And which is why you cannot pay attention in class and therefore don't get high marks or whatever. And then because of that, everyone considers you a weak student, but then you pretty much do well in every other aspect of your life. You know, you're good enough. So that classic adage, you know, where ye mein to bahut hai, but baki sari bahut se kar leta hai. that is a classic ADHD thing. I mean, that's not a diagnosis of any kind, but it could be an ADHD thing. Lots of characters that you see could potentially be ADHD, could have some other kind of, uh, like Michael Scott, for example, bad example, but Michael Scott from The Office seems dyslexic, seems to have ADHD. There's that for sure. But then again, it's never addressed really in the series or anything of that sort. Unlike his own experience where his first therapist never even considered neurodivergence, Alap says the number of therapists who acknowledge it is on the rise in India. But not surprisingly, things could be better. We asked Alap whether he has a lot of people asking him about whether they should get assessed and how does he advise them. One of the first things that we've noticed is, is that people don't, don't know about neurodivergence. We get DMs on, on an almost everyday basis with people uh, telling us, I go through the exact same things that you do. Do you think I might be neurodivergent? And the one thing that we end up telling them is, look, we are not experts. We are people who have who have been through uh, or, or who have lived experience of neurodivergence. Um, we are experts on our own lives, yes, but we are not experts on your life. Uh, getting an assessment is one of the best ways to figure out uh, whether you are neurodivergent or not. Uh, the number of assessors also now is steadily increasing. There's many in India already. Uh, these assessments happen online. So access to these assessments have become easier. Uh, they are cheaper in uh, India than they are pretty much anywhere around the world. Honestly, it, it's tough to give advice because everyone's case is so different. Everyone's situation is so different. So the best that you can do is just hear them out and then maybe guide them to a neuroinformed therapist, gu guide them to someone who will understand neurodivergence, who will approach this subject, not with a lens of pathology, but with a lens of empathy and understanding and guide them in the right ways. I think that's, that's about the best advice that we can give to um, anyone. So how could things be better? Alap says, all that's really expected from neurotypical people is understanding, empathy and agency. So definitely more empathy and more understanding, uh, more coming from a space of, okay, let me get to understand, let me get to learn more from this person, as opposed to coming from a viewpoint of, okay, just because this person is neurodivergent or disabled, automatically, I have a higher standing in life, or I know better than them or more than them. Coming in from a position where you 
are eager to know more about them, where you're, where you're curious to know about their life experience and to see what you can learn from them. Way less of the whole fixing narrative, reframing our ideas of what neurodivergence is and not thinking of neurodivergent and disabled people as broken. One of the most important things is to have more knowledge dissemination at, at the school level. Uh, way more schools addressing neurodivergent children, way more schools accepting neurodivergent and disabled children and letting them assimilate with peers. That empathy is built at a very young age itself. So that when you're older, having a disabled or a neurodivergent person around you doesn't feel like a very alien experience. It just feels like something you've grown up with. In general, way more conversations around this on, on social media, among friends, just among uh, in the movies, uh, and and everywhere, essentially, just having more conversations about disability and neurodivergence and getting to know more about the culture, getting to know more about these conditions, about the strengths, challenges, how to assimilate us at work, how to provide accommodations, how to let us have agency in our lives, uh, which is essentially how to let us make our own decisions and just how to make uh, accommodations, agency and um, accessibility uh, like a core um, component of every decision that is being made. Today's episode was produced by Jairad Singh and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TOI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, Email us at toipodcast at timesinternet.in.